So we're in 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, we'll be here for um, several weeks. And last week, uh, I shared with you the basic fundamental issue is about the resurrection. And uh, in Corinth, in the mid-50s, there wasn't so much, people weren't struggling about the resurrection of Jesus. But evidently in the church, there were those who questioned whether believers who died, would ever be resurrected back to life. Now, sometimes we kind of have to remember that Corinth, the church at Corinth had just started in about 50, 51 AD. Most of the believers came from a Gentile background. And Gentiles, as a rule, the pagans didn't believe in the resurrection. Not resurrection of the body. Um, in, in Greek philosophy, there was different beliefs, you know, the immortality of the soul, uh, different things. But as a rule, that just didn't take firm. So it's, it's a hard thing to grasp. Now, Paul, we know that Paul talked to him about the resurrection. Uh, but it's quite possible, especially, that if people came to faith after Paul was there, that the teaching and the instruction and the discipleship can, can be difficult. Listen, I, I promise, I know from the years of teaching, instructing, discipling, that some people get things wrong. I, I can't tell you how many times people have walked out of a sermon or a teaching and they've misquoted me or they, they misrepresented what I said. And I just like, you know, it's not that complicated. You know, I didn't say that. But so it's, it can be understandable how information maybe uh, not quote understood, especially something so radically different as Christianity. And so there, there began to be a real question about the resurrection. So Paul, as I shared last week, starts off about the resurrection of Jesus and gives the classic definition of the gospel in those first few verses. And he says, you know, that Christ died for our sin according to the scripture, uh, was buried, was raised on the third day uh, according to the scriptures. And then he said, was seen by all these people. And so that's the classic the definition of the gospel, that is chronologically, not in order of reading the New Testament, but in order that the books, you know, were written, that is chronologically the first expression of the gospel. So at a very early stage in the Christian life, we know that the gospel was. So we pick up then in, in verse 12. And in verse 12 then is the, the kind of the thesis of this chapter. He says, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection of dead? So um, Paul is basically laying out. The problem is there are people saying there's no resurrection of dead. Well, Paul says the fundamental message of the gospel is the resurrection. I mean, that is at the heart and soul. I've said this, you know, I don't know how many hundreds of times in my ministry, and probably at least that much here. Christianity rises or falls on the resurrection of Jesus, period. It rises or falls on that. If the resurrection is true, Christianity is true. If the resurrection is false, Christianity is false. So it is fundamental to what we believe. So Paul is saying this in his argument. Some are saying there is no resurrection from the dead. That people can be raised from the dead. Paul says, but Christ is preached. And if Christ is preached, that he's been resurrected, they've come from the dead. How can you say there is no resurrection? Now, the word preached means, basically talks about the fundamental concept of the message. The fundamental message of Jesus is he's alive. He's alive. He's been raised alive. So you're arguing there is no resurrection of the dead. Doesn't make sense. They're not saying it was Jesus, but they're just saying just in general. So in verse 13, if, you're, if you say there is no resurrection of the dead, so what he's saying is this. If what you say is true, that people can't be raised back to life, that the brothers and sisters in Christ aren't raised back, then not even Christ has been raised. 
So fundamentally, though, this is not what you meant to do. What you are doing in essence, here in 1 Corinthians 15, 13, what you're doing in essence is you're denying even the resurrection of Jesus. Now, this is, this is kind of like the, the law of unintended, unintended consequences. Sometimes we don't think through some of the things you believe in the logical conclusions. There are so many things within the Christian faith today that people believe. And I you know, hear what they're saying or, or, or listen to them or read it. And I'm like, you're, if you, what you say is true, then there are consequences that you don't even understand that you're mitigating or negating other doctrines or other truths. In other words, some of the things you hear, some of the things you can go in a bookstore and the books you can read about a certain subject, what they say cancels out Christian truth because they don't take into consideration how it impacts other doctrines and other beliefs. It's something that was constantly being fought in the early church about heresies and what people would come to and, and they would understand. <clears throat> so this is one of those cases he's saying, if, if what you're saying is true, then Jesus hadn't been raised. And then he says in verse 14, and if there's no resurrection of the dead, and he said, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain and your faith also is vain. The word vain has the idea of just emptiness. Then what I'm preaching to you, what we preach, is nothing. It's empty. And if the fundamental message that we preach is empty, then whatever faith you have is non-existent. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, faith doesn't exist. One of the dangers that we have in our world today, and in Christianity today, is the idea that simply having faith in something is enough. Faith in faith. And you hear that in some churches. You just got to believe. You just got to have faith. You, you, got, you got to hope and trust that something is true. That's not what faith is. Faith in having faith or the idea that just believing something, even believing a fundamental truth is enough, is not what faith is. Faith, in fact, I think Hebrews author says the evidence of things hoped for, you know, you know, faith is based on reality, fact, truth. To put your confidence of your life, and faith is a trusting, a giving your life. You're trusting, you're giving your life over to something that is fundamentally true. Even if you can't see it or touch it, it's something you know. We trust Jesus. I trust Jesus as my Savior. I have faith in him because I believe the resurrection is true. And because I have evidence that the resurrection is true, and I understand what that evidence is, and I trust Jesus, there is my faith. I don't have faith in Jesus because of Christmas. I don't have faith in Jesus because of the miracles. I don't have faith in Jesus because of all the great things he taught. I don't even have faith in Jesus because he died on the cross for my sins. I have faith in Jesus because God raised him back to life. And all that other stuff is legit. It is the resurrection of Christ. Now, I know, and I'm just, Christmas is a far more fun time to celebrate. I get it. Because you get gifts. And it's just, just and, we love, and it snows, and, you know, we sing the songs. How many great, how many of y'all sing great Easter songs? Dad, I mean, we hear them in church, up from the grave he arose, you know. It's one time we hear that, you know, he lives, he lives. Christ Jesus lives today. 
He walks with me and talks with me along a nice narrow way. And then we come to the heretical part of that song. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart, which isn't true. It's the Holy Spirit. But I'm not going to get off into that because we'll probably sing it sometime in the next three weeks. But, you know, it, it, you, know you have Santa Claus versus Easter Bunny. Santa Claus wins that out all the time. You have a tree full of gifts against... You got to go hunt down eight somewhere that's been hidden in the house. I mean, you know, so Christmas is cooler, but it is Easter, the celebration of the resurrection of the Lord, that makes our faith legit. Obviously, Christmas is important. <laughs> I know that. I preach that all the time. But it's Easter, the Easter message. And fundamentally, what Paul says. As we preach Jesus Christ and him crucified, including the resurrection. Paul doesn't even talk about the birth of Jesus. Not that he doesn't believe it. It's just that's not the message wasn't. Jesus, you know, was born. And that's what you got to believe. The message is Jesus is alive. So, if that preaching is dead, your faith is dead. Verse 14, 15 says this. Moreover, we are found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. Now remember, Paul was a Jew. He's writing to primarily the Gentiles, but to a Jew. If you said, thus saith the Lord, or you spoke the mind of God, and it wasn't true or didn't come true, you were a false prophet. So Paul is saying, in essence, if me or anyone, but let's just say him, if I'm preaching Christ has been raised from the dead, he's not raised from the dead, I'm a false prophet. And by the Jewish faith, Christianity then is dead, he should be stoned you know, to death. So he's saying all of this is void. This is how important the resurrection is. Now, probably today, we don't have people who, in Christian churches, much who deny the resurrection of the dead in general. So it's probably not an issue for us. But what's important for this, for us, is to realize the priority that Paul places on the resurrection. And then, you know, we, you come, we spend all that time, you know, dealing with the gifts and speaking in tongues and all that. And, and all the stuff about unity and all that's important. I get it. But at the heart and soul of this book, in the heart and soul of the Christian message, is resurrection. The single most important thing we preach, teach, is resurrection. That is the most important thing. It takes priority and precedence over all else. That is why many times I have, on numerous occasions, preached about, you know, the evidence for the resurrection from Scripture and, you know, the seen, you know, the testimony, you know, of, of, the, of the women and the testimony of the ghost who saw him alive, the significance of James coming to faith, the significance of Paul coming to faith, all that is important. Resurrection is not symbolic, and there'll be, there'll be people in the city and all over the country in Christian churches on Easter who will be hearing from the person preaching that, you know, it's not the, the realness of the resurrection. It's not what's important. It's that you believe in a resurrection or you believe in, um, uh, you know, the symbolism. that They're going to preach that and teach that. And that's, that's not truth. Truth is it's real. And so this is why this is so critical. Verse 16 says this, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and you are still in your sins. That's the, that's the ramifications. So let me just say this. If people, and this is the danger that's going to happen. If people teach and preach that the most important thing about the resurrection is that, you know, the symbolism or that it gives you hope or faith or whatever. 
if they don't preach the literal reality that Jesus died and was raised back to life, then people will not put their faith in Christ, and they are dead in their sins. And there are going to be who knows how many people over the next few weeks led astray by people they think are trusting them with the word of God. Someone asked me the other day about, you know, in essence, why don't, and I may have said this, no, I haven't said this to you, uh, because it was after last Wednesday, but they asked me, why don't, you know, I get with other pastors much and other churches and, you know, and we do this or that, pray and all that. <laughs> and I said, well, because a lot of those other pastors don't believe the truth. They preach the truth, and I don't want to be associated with them, ever. And I don't want my people to be associated with them. I don't want anyone to ever think that this cat over here or this church, that I somehow agree or support them. I do not. And if there's a church preaching falsehood, my prayer is that they do not repent and get right with God, that the church will completely shut down. We are not on the same side. We are not striving for the same end. That pastor over there and I, we're not, we're not on the same team, my friend. Because they're not preaching the resurrection of Christ. It all boils down to that. And if you don't preach the resurrection of Jesus, you and I ain't serving the same Jesus. And you should want nothing to do with any of those churches ever. Because they're going to destroy people's lives for eternity. This is the message of, of, of Paul. This is the heart and soul of our faith. This is why it's important. And coming into Easter, listen, you may not ever, I know sometimes it's hard to share your faith with people, and I got it, but try to get them here for Easter or any of the services. But Easter, Easter's the one that people are most open to. They'll come, they'll come on Christmas time. They'll come at Easter. Maybe they'll come for their mama on mama's day. Eh, some of them, that's it. Can't even get anything else out of them. Man, you can get them here because they need to hear the resurrection of Jesus. So, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. The word fallen asleep is a nice way of saying die. The word perish means to be destroyed. Another way, so when John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son, whoever believed in him would not perish. That's it, perish, be destroyed. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men the most to be pitied. If all that Christianity was dead was just this life. We've wasted this life. Listen, I'm going to be honest with you. <laughs> if Christianity isn't real, I feel cheated. Because I could have probably lived a life differently and, and I could have pursued other things. And if when this life is over, if my friend uh, is correct and when we die, we all become dust, I wasted my life preaching something that wasn't true. Now, obviously, I don't believe that. And I know, I know it's not, that's not the truth. But that's what Paul's saying. So that's pretty big ramifications. for why, why would you be a preacher if you don't really believe that Jesus rose from the dead? I can't possibly imagine why I would want this life if I don't believe that Christ literally rose from the dead. What? You know, come on, seriously. I mean, I, I like y'all. I love some of you. I like all of you. But the value of what I do for me personally, is cause the resurrection. So, but, verse 20, now Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first fruits of those who sleep. So, the idea of first fruits just means he is, he is the priority. First fruits was always the best. You got 
you got to take some of this. Some of the things that being said make it almost sound like, you know, that Jesus is just one of us and he's the best of us. But the idea of the first fruit or, you know, the priority is the best of the best. So, you know, that's, that's the idea. So he is the first fruit of those who've been resurrected. He's the first to be resurrected permanently. Now, we might say, but Lazarus was resurrected and the woman's son and all that. Well, they were resurrected, but they died again. So it was a resurrection, but it was really a resuscitation to some degree. Jesus is the first fruit of those who raised all, for all good. For since by a man death came, um, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all be made alive. This is an argument that, that he uh, <coughs> builds up a much fuller degree in Romans chapter 5, I think it is. And so because of Adam's sin, death came. Because of Christ's resurrection came. So there's the, the, the it's, Paul likes to use this kind of comparison of Adam and Jesus. What Adam did to destroy humanity, Jesus did to raise humanity. Um, but each in his own order. Christ the first fruits after those who are Christ at his coming. So he gives the order kind of a resurrection. So there's a little bit of discrepancy because of the Greek. If you have the New American Standard like I do, it says Christ the first fruits, comma, and after that those who are Christ at his coming. In other words, the believers. If you have the NIV, it says, um, Christ, comma, the first fruits, comma, after those. So what happens is, numeric, and this doesn't matter a lick, but the numeric standard says the order is Christ in us. The NIV says the order is Christ, those who are alive when Christ comes, and then us, who, those who are dead. It doesn't really matter. The most important thing, and I'll follow the numeric standard almost every time, is that Christ is the first fruits, and all of us be raised. And then he says, then comes the end. And so, you know, we, we go to great lengths sometimes to try to figure out the end times, which I always find fascinating because, you know, <laughs> let me just say this, and, and I know I get in trouble when I do this. When the validity of your doctrine requires you to cut and paste passages from different books that were written at different times by different people with entirely different purposes, and you kind of paste that together to get a flow, and you miss the whole context, you probably got a problem with your doctrine. The end times, and I know, and I, and I did the whole, revela I did Revelation back last July. If you want to see um, that, it's in the archives of our sermons, it's the, um, what do I call that? It's fish fry, not fish fry. <laughs> deep fry. God, my mind is shot today. I'm sorry. Fish, deep fry. Uh, and it's in the archives. And so you can see that three and a half hour revelation, all that stuff. But, and I'm actually planning on 23 of doing something on the second coming of Christ. But it's very simple. What we need to know, Christ will return. And when he returns, all who are his followers will be resurrected to a new body. Our soul already lives. We'll have a, a new body to go with our soul, a resurrected body. And, you know, then there'll be judgment and then there'll be heaven and hell forever. And it's, you know, we're <laughs> please be sure that you don't put yourself in a corner so that when Christ comes again, you're disappointed that he didn't come the way you thought he would. <laughs> there are a lot of people like, man, you know, I, I think they're going to say when I was wrong about all that stuff, he didn't come the way I thought he would. You know, I don't, I personally, don't care how he chooses to come. Now, I'm pretty sure I know how he's going to come because I'm just very confident of that. But if I'm wrong on some of the details, I'm okay with that. 
All I know is I want to be there. You know, and my wife and daughter and the rest of you, good luck. So it comes to end. And notice what he says. When he hands over the kingdom to God, the Father, to the God and Father, and when he's abolished all rule and authority and power. So understand, he's given us some, Paul's saying, the end's going to come. And when the end comes, Jesus has conquered all to the extent that he has chosen. He's, vict- he's already the conqueror of all now. But it comes to reality. He gives the entire kingdom over to the Father. Now, the kingdom of Jesus and the kingdom of God basically is the same thing. He's using rich language. It is the reign and rule of God. Jesus, by the way, is already king. Satan isn't king. Satan, Satan is an evil power that has victory in the lives of people. He is sometimes called the prince of darkness. The king and the ruler of this earth is Jesus. He is the king over all creation. There is no part of creation he is not king over. If your belief system has Jesus not being in absolute control, authority, and sovereignty over all of creation, your belief system does not add up to Scripture. There is no way, shape, form, or fashion that he is not ultimately in control because when he chooses to end it all, he'll end it all at his choosing. You've got to understand that. Don't have a Jesus who is somehow not in control of our lives. Now, he may let you have some control for a little while. He may let Satan have some power for a little while, but he has the ability to end all of that whenever he wants. So don't ever understand that short. So he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet, and the last enemy that will be abolished is death. Death is the enemy, and later on we'll see him talking about death, where's your victory, and all that. De- death is the enemy. And Paul's talking about resurrection. If, you, if there's no resurrection and, de- and you die, death wins. If there's no resurrection, death wins. Verse 27. He has put all things in subjection under his feet. That's from Psalm 8. But when he says all things are put in subjection, it is evident that that he is accepted who put all things in subjected to him. In other words, all things are subject to the the Lord. But obviously, Jesus as Lord is not, you know, subject. Uh, verse 28 says, when all things are subjected to him, and then the son himself also will be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him so that God may be all in all. That's kind of a confusing thing, but it's basically saying this. In terms of nature, the son and the father are equal. In terms of functionality, the son has come to serve the father. When the son has brought all things to where it needs to be in service to the father, the son will give it to him is the essence. The purpose of all this, and it's kind of flowing, and it's kind of, and, and, the, and there's a kind of a picturesque view of this, is to simply help us to realize you know, what Paul is saying to a world that is very Greek and very Greco-Roman in concept, is that death is not the end of us because it wasn't the end of Christ. Christ has been resurrected. Christ allows us to die, allows life to go on, and for a period of time, the gospel is being preached throughout all the world, theoretically. And in the gospel, there is power. Jesus even, even talked about the power of the gospel at times. He talked about the power that he get to the apostles to preach it. And so there's this message of being preached of the resurrection. The message of the resurrection has amazing power. It is the power of the resurrection of Jesus. And so when people come to Christ, there's victory. At some point, Jesus is going to say, enough time has lapsed. 
He has accomplished all he has determined to accomplish. Those who refuse to, to accept him, you know, there are people who die every day who refuse to accept Christ. And they, they, they are subject then to that judgment. He is still Lord over the, he is still the Lord even of the unbelievers. Jesus is Lord over all. And when the time comes and those who have, that Jesus has said enough is enough, and every, the time is at hand, he has given humanity opportunity to come, then he will defeat all there is to defeat. And then when the, he comes again and the dead will rise, the last enemy will be defeated, which is death. All of those who are resurrected will be the evidence that death once and for all was defeated. So if there is no resurrection of the dead, there is no victory in Jesus. And so that is the message being portrayed. Now, there's some more complications to it and some more things in, in Paul's writing. But for, for us, this is the, the thing. So what we should be looking for in the second coming of Christ, if I may use that phrase, and, is we're looking for the victory that's established in Jesus. We live right now in the kingdom of Christ. We do. That's why Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's not talking about a thousand years from now. He's talking about right now. Because Jesus has come for the kingdom. He said, flat out tells people in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit, yours is the kingdom of God. You are part of the kingdom. He said, when people persecute you, rejoice, you're part of the kingdom. And he talks about his kingdom. The gospels are always writing about the kingdom of Jesus. He is the ruler of all, Paul says. When he is through establishing his kingdom once and for all, he gives it to the Father, and then that's it. And so that's the importance of resurrection. A resurrection for us marks the end. When Christ comes and we have been resurrected, it is over. There is no longer any opportunity for people to come to Jesus. If your belief system tells you that after Christ returns and we're resurrected, that there's opportunities for people to come to Jesus, your belief system is inaccurate. Sorry, it's just the way. There's no scriptural basis unless you cut and paste, glue, slide it over here, ignore this over here, and just don't listen to anything Jesus has to say. <laughs> then you can be there. But if you listen to Jesus and Paul, that's not the way it is. So that's it for this part. If I let Brian sing, I'd be through by now. I mean, not Brian. What was his name? Stephen. <laughs> how quickly I forget who they are. Out of sight of mine. Do you have any questions? I'll be happy to answer this relates to this subject and not something else. See, Doug's already left. They've had enough. Neil, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm just picking on you. That's what you get when you get to be a deacon. They had enough of the pastor. Right, Neil? Okay. You say that the truth of Christianity rises and falls on the resurrection. Mm-hmm. The question I have is, it seems to, I, I've never heard anybody preach on this or expound on it. It seems like it's glossed over. But in Matthew, it says when Christ died, mm-hmm. he left his spirit. Mm-hmm. It says that there was a great earthquake. The, the uh, curtain was torn from top to bottom. Yeah. And it says, yeah. And those that were asleep in Christ were raised. Yeah. And then the next one says that after his resurrection, they went into the city and appeared to many. Were they in resurrected bodies or were they raised like Lazarus was to die again? Or do you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
probably the most obscure passage in all of Scripture, and you want to ask me that. Yeah. Well, it's because who wants to preach on that? <laughs> so, Joe, you want to answer that? You want to answer me? So, so here's the thing. Uh, obviously, I believe what Matthew wrote. Obviously, it's not hugely important. Nobody else writes it. Matthew is writing his gospel in many ways to connect to the Jews. Like Mark writes to connect to Gentiles. Matthew's writing to connect to the Jews. And so when Christ dies... Certain things happen in the temple. Um, and one of the things that happened in the temple is the tearing of the curtain that signifies that that way to God is over, is finished. In Jewish life and in Jewish faith, resurrection was important. Most Jews, the Sanhedrin, I mean, the, uh, the Sadducees, it's not. So as I would understand this, and understand, you're going to get multiple understandings of this because of the nature of it, because the, the, the language basically says this is what happened. And there's no other commentaries on it by anybody in, in Scripture other than this. So one of the evidences of the judgment of God upon the Jewish people was the temple and the raising of some, some, who rose back to life. I would understand that raising to be, in my understanding of it, uh, similar to Lazarus. And they preach. And so, but there's not much more on that. And so I'm never inclined to extrapolate more than what Scripture says. I know what other people say. That's just kind of how I understand it. So, I mean, somebody else, I mean, this is one of those times somebody else has a view. You want to add to that? Yeah, thanks. That's where to go. All the times you want to, you know, jump in and correct me, this ain't the one. So, Joe, uh, Josh, anything to add? Joe, Joe, you're working on your doctorate, Jack. Josh, you finished up your uh, associate bachelor's right there. No, it's master's. Your master's degree teach you anything different than that? Josh, no. James, no. Okay, that's it. So, anybody else? I hope that helps. But that the best I can tell you is don't read too much into that. Just don't overdo that. It'll mess you up if you try to read too much of that. Peter never dealt with it. John never dealt with it. Paul never dealt with it. Luke never dealt with it. Mark never dealt with it. Jesus, Matthew dealt with it to make a point to the Jews. That was, the temple was over. The evidence of that was it tore, and there was a resurrection, and there was a preaching. Don't go beyond that. It'll mess you up every time you do it. Does that help? Timothy? I was just going to say that there is one thing that also supports it, and that is that they found recently uh, a banqueting room right against the temple that was destroyed in that yeah. earthquake. Okay, that's good. Some archaeological evidence was found to help support that. But don't try to read too much spiritual stuff today into that. There's no reason to. Really, it really, to us, it has no, I would say it has really no relevance, which is why I've never preached on it once. Doesn't mean it didn't happen. I believe it happened. But anyways, next question. Anything else? You can't possibly top that one. 